Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Scenic Route podcast. So joining me tonight is a longtime friend of mine, also an extremely successful, smart, talented, beautiful human being, none other than Jimmy Oaks. Thank you for having me. This is my second time on a podcast and I am new here. So <laughs> we've, we've known each other for a while. So I feel like the, there's a lot of stories that can come out, but at the same time, like there's some questions as I started thinking about kind of your journey in the automotive space, like how did you get into this? How did this start? And I don't really know the answer. So I guess I kind of want to take a trip through memory lane. All right, let's do it. Let's get right to it. And just for a little context, like we probably spent a solid 15 minutes before we could actually start doing the podcast because we just got distracted with freestyling. <laughs> we found out music. We could Bluetooth right to the soundboard. It's, it is pretty sick. It's dangerous. Yep. Um, so I guess the, the first thing to dive into, I always like to ask people like how they got into cars. Now, I know your first car was the Saturn. It's, it's a whole Saturn, story in itself. SC2. But like what got you into cars? Because you were before me. Yeah. So it's funny. Right? I feel like every time someone's like, oh, I got into cars because I like played Need for Speed Underground. Like that's always the thing, right? Or I had a poster on the wall and it was the coolest thing ever. Or like their family was into it or something. Honestly, I feel like um, I was a late bloomer almost. Like B, I was so obsessed with BMX. We both were. Mm-hmm. Right? That was everything. BMX was life right and uh i never really thought about much you know I, didn't, I wasn't super into cars like i thought they were cool you know i was always really into mechanics and uh you know um and then as we got a little bit older like towards the you know later high school days you know friends would come around with cool cars and you'd see the style and you're like man that's that's dope and you're doing what to them that sounds super fun right getting dirty you know doing your hand like playing using your hands building cool stuff and like um, creating something. And, uh, as I kind of saw more and more of that, I definitely got really roped into it. And a lot of my friends at the time were big Volkswagen guys. So like, you know, you, you usually get into what you see first and like what the people you thought were cool, had the cool cars, so like Volkswagens, right? Doug right in that. That's how I met Brian Hall. Actually, I met him with, uh, his Mark three. Is that back when you had your uh, GLI? So I wasn't there yet. Right. Mm. So, um, like, the whole scene was like the whole Northeast scene was very Volkswagen based too. Like, I think you could vouch for that too. It's funny how you, you mentioned like, you know, you see the cars around and the BMX scene and stuff. The skate park almost became like the pit stop for car shows. Sometimes. For sure. For like sure. people would like, you know, they'd still be in the scene, but they'd get their, their first car, like maybe their second or third car that's like modded out. And they would just kind of go post up at the skate park. Cause that was a spot. To that be. was the spot. Everyone had a roof rack back yep. then too. That was like the roof rack era where every modified car had a roof rack. And you know, I still have a soft spot for it. I know you do too. Oh, Cause yeah. you put one on your Porsche. Yeah, dude, they're good, man. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it just like kind of went from there and then it just like spiraled out of control as I like, saw new parts of the scene, you know, I started to really find what I like and just kind of obsess over each little thing, you know, like, um, from Volkswagens into Nissans and like my transcendent Nissans were kind of funny cause I didn't really know anyone with Nissans. It's not like I like had a friend that had a 240. I was like, yo, that's like the coolest car ever. I just kind of like started to see him, started to look him up online. You know, there was like no like video that hooked me. It was just like, casual i saw a 300zx on the highway once i was gonna say you picked the worst nissan to start oh with. the worst but it was like <laughs> boot camp well, that's a whole different story but like i remember i was driving the milford for some reason i'll never forget it i was like driving the milford for probably some bmx reason mm-hmm. i remember seeing a 300zx like zoom by and i was like i saw the taillights i was like 
what kind of car is that? I've never seen that before in my life. Like, if you don't know what they are, they definitely look weird. They look weird. And I was like, that's not a supercar, but it's not a normal car. I remember like chasing them in my little Saturn, you know, mm -hmm. all 98 horsepower, <laughs> burning a quart of oil, just trying to catch up to this thing. And I just, I saw it on the highway and I was obsessed. That's cool. I never knew that. Yeah. So prior to your 300ZX, so you had, mm -hmm. you had the GLI, right? Yeah. So I had like my first car that I ever modified was a Mark IV Jetta, right? That was like mm -hmm. the Mark IV Jetta era. When the we Christmas were, car? The, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was Christmas for one day, but uh, I, I got that car because it was like the first thing I could afford. It was a VR6. Sounded mm -hmm. sick. VR6 is dope. I cut Go, coming from your 94 horsepower Saturn, like that was a combo. Oh, yeah, this thing didn't leak oil, which was like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> like the amount of parking lots of my friends that I've ruined yeah. because of that car. But uh, I got the Mark IV, just VR6. It was like 2,500 bucks, which was so cheap for that car back in the day. And like, um, I was obsessed with it. It was it was a German car, so it was like nice. It was like comfy. And um, how did you find the deal? I feel like that's something oh, like dude. people always are like, how do you guys find such good deals on cars? Like Bro. what is, what is your method? Okay. This was Craigslist days, right? Yep. Where like it was such a gamble if that post was spam, something sketchy or like if the car was sold 10 months ago. And I remember just, you know, always digging around and like cars were so much rougher on Craigslist. I feel like. Oh yeah. And uh, I remember finding this one and it wasn't, it was, it wasn't up for a lot but it was up for a while and I hounded this guy. I kept offering him $2,500 because that's all I can, all, it's all I can muster up. And like, even that was a stretch at the time and I was working so much and like, I kept hounding this dude. I think I'd text him every day. Like, are you sure? Like, I really want this guy. I was that kid. Yeah, I was going to say, I was that guy. I was that kid because I was so like uh, overly passionate about, passionate about buying a Mark IV, you know, like I know you're the same way. You yeah. become obsessed with things mm -hmm. like, and you just can't fathom not getting to that point and that was the car you know it was red best color ever and i just kept hounding him one day and i he i think he had a bad day at work and he just said yes that's it and i went and i picked it up and it was like the greatest thing ever moving from that to mm. the gli i remember the gli being like somewhat of a flip car for you i feel like you own yeah. that car with the intention of selling it did well, you no, not so my my mark four got rear-ended mm -hmm. and it was like devastating like this is like my baby. The red you know? car? The red car got rear-ended. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got paid out for that. And, um, you know, like, I think they gave me like four grand for it. Please and come up. And like, I, I, like after buying it back too, and I parted it out. And I ended up with like $6,500, which was like, I felt like Bill Gates. At yeah. Like, the, like that, you know, like 6500 bucks. And at the time, like the GLI, like the old four and a half GLI, like the chrome trim mm -hmm. with the, you know, BBS. That was like the, my dream first car. The dr Dude, to me, like I'd rather have that than like an NSX at the time. Like it was oh, yeah. beautiful. I was obsessed with it. I still love them. Yeah. Um, if anyone has a red one that's mint, sell it to me for a good deal. Cause I really want one. So, but um, I remember like that time GLIs were like 12 to 15 and it was untouchable, but I found one for like in my price range and I couldn't believe it. I got it. And obviously like it wasn't as nice as I thought, you know, but like it was hit in the front and it was half ass. I remember you hated that car. Well, I remember you, you talk so much shit about that car. Well, that was the thing. It was my dream car. It was like my dream car at the time. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it was such a stretch and it took so much out of me to get that. I like worked so hard to like get that money to get my dream car. And I got it and it was such a letdown of a car because it had so many issues because it was the New Jersey special. Mm. You know, it had it was painted 40 different times and the front end didn't line up right. Nothing lined up right. It had old parts on it that were like not properly set up. And 
it was like something just dumped on my dream yeah. and it had bad juju. Like we've all been there. Just yep. some cars just have bad juju and like you can't explain it. And it like really disappointed me. So like, I guess I hated that car. I don't remember talking that bad shit about it, but I, for whatever reason, my memory with that car is you like, you flipped it, you made a decent amount of money on so it. So that was the thing in like, I just like, it like kind of like really upset me because that was like such an end, like not end goal, but like it was such a goal. And then I was like, and that's when I started to think about Nissans. Right? Mm -hmm. And then um, I ended up, I put it, the car came with a lot of aftermarket parts and I got a lot of stock stock parts from friends because like no stock parts weren't worth mm. anything. So I put it back to like stock, mm. sold off all the parts, sold off. I was like, I kept flipping wheels at the time. That's why I had green wheels in my red car. Yep. The, the one that never, no one will ever let me live it down when I have the green wheels in my red car. They were only on there for a day because I was flipping them and it's the only wheels I owned at the time. <laughs> and um, yeah, I like sold it and I did good on it and I had money. And I was like, 300ZX, gotta have it. I feel like the the whole flipping cars thing is a really good way for someone to kind of work their way up the totem pole of cars. Mm. I feel like every person that I've talked to has some story about getting started flipping cars, flipping wheels, I guess, in that realm of flipping things to make money and make profits. Like, what is what is the advice you would give someone? If someone wants to, if someone has 500 bucks and they want to work their way up to two grand. Yeah. It's flipping cars is scary, right? Because but even parts, yeah, right? parts. wheels so is a good way to start. Wheels would thing like back, like, especially back then, like there was a lot of stock wheels that were like valuable. Like now think about it, it wasn't a lot of money, but at, yeah. at the time it was a lot of money. There was a lot of like known stock wheels that were valuable. So you would try to look to find people who didn't know what they had. Style it, fives is, same story. Same same story. So you're trying to find people like that and you would buy them for $250 and you'd sell them for 400 And it was such a hustle to do that. But that's 150 bucks back then was a, a big deal. And then yep. you would get like one set of wheels, you trade them for another set of wheels that were spray painted and you'd strip the spray, spray paint off. You paint them, you sell them for an extra $400 because you made them look pretty like the green wheels. Yep. Those things, who would ever paint those things green? But I knew they were the BBS RCs at the time, which were big money. So you, boom. Yeah. That's it. It's just, it, you know, Cars are expensive. They really are. And like that you got to do whatever you can. And that's your one tool at the time, right? Yeah. I guess buy low, sell high and just keep working your way up the totem pole. That's it. Cross your fingers. So you saw this 300 CX mm -hmm. drive down the road. Sold. What, what, what happened next? Um, so I kind of like, you know, the idea of like being like able to afford one was like there. It was mm -hmm. like kind of mind blowing. Right. And uh, I looked at a bunch of them. And they were, they were all dumpy, right? It's a 300ZX. So a lot of them weren't taken care of very well. And the ones that were, were very, very expensive. And I kind of ended up like somehow stumbling upon this like middle child of one where it was like pretty clean. wasn't mm -hmm. the best thing ever. Um, it was a little bit of my price range, but I like somehow had a lot of money at the time from, I just like sold everything per, at, like perfectly, you know, and everything works out. And, you know, I was like, I was that kid that wouldn't eat for a month because I wanted something, you know, yep. like wouldn't spend a dollar on anything. And, um, I remember cause I, I would feed you back then. Oh yeah. You, you definitely, yeah. The <laughs> amount of dinners LZ has definitely bought my me. My mom probably unreal. made you dinner more than anything. That, especially in BMX days. I was so broke. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> LZ definitely. Hold, yeah. Your mom's stir fry yep. fire. Um, and the possibility of opening Z was there and I looked at one and it was it. And I was like, this is it. And that was the red sea. And I knew, you know, all the specs about it. I knew everything about the car, but I didn't, knowing everything about the car in terms of specs and everything is different than knowing the cars, right? Like knowing the quirks of them, knowing like the things in the scene that make them the way they are and stuff. So I knew the car, but I didn't know the car. 
Yeah, and the, the VG30, I don't know how much you knew about it back then. Notoriously no. one of the worst engines to work on. The most complicated and complex engine bay of the time, you know, rivaling with the 3000 GT and all that other nonsense in the 90s. I thought that was a good idea. And you decided to wire tuck the stock engine before you pulled it, did you not? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Big Volkswagen energy. So that was the thing, right? So like back in the day, shave bays were like, the coolest thing ever like in the Volkswagen world like to me I thought it was the coolest thing ever because it's like the ultimate trial of knowing what you're doing right mm -hmm. you have completely rewrote every system in a creative way and to me that sounded like the coolest thing ever like, that's the ultimate ep epitome of automotive art or yeah. just automotive and um you know the whole performance side of things was even like a thought to be honest I just never really the saw cars as a performance aspect because I was never in that realm of it mm -hmm. I just saw it almost from like the artistic concept so like shave bays were it and um i didn't have a volkswagen anymore but i had a 300zx and i was like wait if people bay shave volkswagens i should bay shave at 300zx like i'm getting rid of stuff i'm not buying stuff it's probably cheaper to do. yeah it's <laughs> so a good point it's, it is, it's something yeah. you can do that doesn't really cost a lot of money i remember i remember walking in your little garage and seeing you had i think like a maybe like a cork board with your wiring harness all laid out because you were no cutting idea. things and I, dude i had no idea what i was doing but you like figured it out. How, figured it out. How, forums were you big forum? No, kid? I wasn't. I hated forums. They pissed me off because there was just so much bullshit information out there. So here's the thing that like, I don't know what how it worked out, but I went in with a lot of confidence. Right, you go in with the if someone else can do it, why can't mm -hmm. I? Right, why not? It's 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 simple, but not so, uh, simple. So like, what I would do is I would learn how the system worked. Like this is like not knowing anything. I'd learn how the system worked, and if you, because you know you try to follow follow how to. And they'd skip a step and you're screwed because yep. you're like, wait, how do they do that? How do they do that? How do I overcome this? Because there's a slightly different than the rest. If you know how it works, you could then use critical thinking to know how to get to that step. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of just relying on the, okay, so I turn it left and then move it. Right. You know, like one of those. So I just spent the time and I really just learned how every system worked. Like, oh, like, like simple, like just simple concepts, right? Like power steering, you have a high pressure line, you have a low pressure line, like what kind of force that take, what kind of line can hold that force. And like, oh, you know, like if I put the power steering reservoir too low, it's going to, it can't get to the pump, you know, simple, simple concepts. And so I kind of took that and just ran with that and applied it in just like some creative ways and it worked, right? Like simple stuff, like talking the power steering lines, right? Same system. Um, I took, for the low pressure, I took brake line, like the, the thick stuff of the fuel line, and I ran them underneath the fuel rail to like the f power steering pump. And then I ran, I bent it all nice because you could bend them tight mm -hmm. and then put the power steering rails in the nose panel because why not? There's no DIY on it, but it's like, why couldn't this work? And it did. I remember just hearing you talking about deleting all of these things. And I knew very little about cars at the time. Mm. I think similar era. I probably had my E46 about that time. Mm -hmm. And, you'd help me install coilovers and mind you we knew so little that we so little. we didn't put a strut top on these race lands we put the spring directly did we yeah that we you're supposed to take like the strut yeah, top from the stock it, coils. i don't remember that yeah we literally yeah. put the, the spring like straight to the mount Love that. so the springs would pop like this is the level of car knowledge that yeah. we had at yeah the time. yeah but sure. I, I remember hearing you talk about deleting things and i'm like how do you delete things from a car <laughs> I love that. Like, I, like I was like, how how do you know that's okay? Like, how do you know it's still gonna work? Your memory is a lot better than mine. I'm pretty shot, but that was um, huge to me because yeah, I'm yeah. like, dude, this guy is deleting things. Well, that was what the whole thing. I would like figure out, okay, like, does a system need that? Like, why is it actually there? Like, 
like vacuum lines, right? Like that's always one of the most deterring things on turbo car when you're like newer. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I always took it from the concept of I'm not working backwards in the sense of like, okay, can I delete this? Can I delete this? I have to keep this. I took it from a, what do I actually need? Mm-hmm. And so I got rid of everything <laughs> and then just put in what I needed. Yeah, I guess it's a good point because if you were a forum kid, you probably would have read that you die if you deleted ABS and then that ruins your whole project. Exactly. And you like, you're freaked out. I just, I, I, and dude, it was just, I don't know, it was funny. It was a really like OEM base shave where it was like, I couldn't afford to buy nice stuff. So I like spray paint things like nicely or like make the OEM stuff look nice and use AutoZone hoses. You know, I wouldn't get hand stuff. Like, so I did it very affordably. It was just a lot of work, but it like, threw me in the ring and it just like made me learn so much so quickly. I feel like you, you for me, like with my, my 240, which I, I didn't even really dive into that much myself in the very early days, but I feel like more so with the one J car that we built in my garage, like mm-hmm. remembering being in your garage and the, those little things that you spray painted and the little details of things. I feel like that's, that's always been a really big influence for me and, and just building cars and like just those little little attention to detail things that most people don't care about. It all adds up. Yeah. It all adds up. I do miss that where like the pre-YouTube stuff where you had a couple days to like OD and make a bracket really nice. Yep. Because now we got to produce so much. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't have time for that. I'm going to make it look as good as I can and on to the next. But like I miss that where you could like hyper focus on one little thing because back then all I had was time. Use it, you know. So did my S13 come first or did your LS come first? Your S13 came first. Um, your, yeah, it came first. So story in the S13, like rewind, like a little mm-hmm. a little bit about my story. I knew I wanted to drift. Mm. I'd crashed my E46 trying to drift it. <laughs> well, we thought drifting was like the coolest thing. Like we didn't know much about it in terms of like FD and like the grassroots mm-hmm. stuff. But we I just knew nothing about FD. We knew I knew nothing about not much in drifting. I heard it through friends stuff, but we just knew being sideways was the funnest thing to do. I saw that clip of Chelsea didn't know for drifting. I made the plunge. I was like, I have money now. I'm going to, I want to buy a drift car. I knew that I had a friend that knew how to work on cars. Cause for me, that my biggest thing was like, I can't buy 240. I don't know how to work on cars. So I like came up with this, this deal with Jimmy where it was like, look, dude, like I I talked to these drifters at BC racing. They said I need an S 13 with an SR 20. Like I'm going to get this car. I'm going to bring it to Connecticut. And, and, basically like we're going to share the car you're going to work on it and then we're both going to drive it <laughs> well i remember i was in school at the time i was like living at school and i just like wanted to get into drifting so bad but i knew the z wasn't the car it just wasn't it yeah. and i knew i needed an s chassis couldn't afford it and at the time like you were doing pretty good um and i knew like you had the opportunity to and i was like i remember i was literally in my dining hall we talked about this before and i remember texting you begging you i was like please you gotta buy an s13 it's just like the perfect car it's so perfect it's so cool and you're like wait really we could do this and i'm like yeah come there we'll find one like i remember being so stoked about it and then that summer i came to florida and the goal was i'm not leaving until we find you an s13 do you remember we almost didn't buy the cream car? Yeah, because it was a lot of money. And we overpaid for that so bad. I think the car was worth every dollar. It was like no. six grand, but at the time that no, it was, was like, seven. It was, it was seven we, grand. And no, it was less than seven. It was fun. It was paid seven grand for that car. Seven back then was so much money. But here's the thing: all we saw was hack job cars, and yeah. we, we we knew that the the time it would save us of having a solid foundation mm-hmm. was worth was worth a lot because you didn't have a lot of time. You were you were packing orders whenever you had a free moment you were writing essays while driving cars like uh, lz is the biggest juggler i've ever seen in my life but i can't juggle and it can't juggle (laughs) and this dude like 
I don't even know how you did that. It was it was it was insane. But um, yeah, and we looked at so many. There were all so many junk, and then we saw the cream one. Had you know it was stock body, nice paint, but it had those little attention to detail things like yeah. a painted bay, like the things that show the dude cared. Exactly, but it was like it was simple. It was like all like affordable, like just like ISR entry level stuff. It like SR stock turbo, like it was oh. simple and. We thought he would go down on the price. I remember we, we met in like a Publix parking lot. I swear we got it for 65. I, I remember. No, I remember I'm pretty like, sure we tried. No, he was he, like firm at seven. And then he left because he was, he like played hardball with us. Yeah. And, or maybe, no, maybe we, we were like, left. oh yeah, we left. We're, we we're said like, I, no we way. were good. And then at, I think he was driving away and then called us like, I'll do it for 65. Yeah. We I turn, swear that's what happened. Yeah. We turned around and we we're like, yes. And then we got it we got and it. Uh, Jimmy drove it all the way back to Connecticut for me. Dude, I'm pretty sure you didn't drive the car for the first two weeks you owned it. You were so, you were like pretty nervous about it. Was I? Yeah, you were pretty nervous about it. And I uh, think you're right. I don't really remember driving it until no, Connecticut. I remember like clutch kicking it around some corners, having no business to do that. But you're like, that was so cool. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it was so cool. And then we- well, Yeah, because I didn't even do my first donut until we were like halfway to Connecticut. Yeah, and then you killed it on that one. But I remember like- You were like, Adam, chill. You're going to kill the tires, dude. I well, Yeah, I, we, we remember how- you, <laughs> It's so funny. It was so, but um, man, yeah, you had your three thirty five, and we had the S thirteen, and you, I drove the S thirteen all the way, chasing your three thirty five, all the way up the CT. It was so hot at that summer. I drove the entire way in nothing but boxers with like blown out coilovers, like a bad inner tie rod, no radio. That car now. Yeah, the first thing Jimmy did was like, Adam, you're buying me a radio if I'm driving this car. We, we were in Virginia, and I finally convinced him to buy a radio. We put it in in Virginia. Yeah, I remember that. I uh, I remember like when I finally started putting wrenches on that car. There were so many things that were so loose and blown out. There Huge. was like a crazy mystery clunk for the first month we owned. It was like a blown it. shock and a blown inner. Huge, huge tip, guys. I don't care if you know nothing <laughs> about cars. If you're buying a new car, especially a drift car jack it up, put it on jack stands, just like hit the wheel in the front and the back mm. uh, up and down, like wiggle things. Cause you can spot an issue that can kill you before it kills you. <laughs> and that's really cool. If you can save your own life that way. A bolt check saves lives. <laughs> really? Like, uh, uh, mothers for bolt checking your son's drift cars, our new organization. Coming <laughs> <laughs> to you soon. Uh, so I got this car because there's this drift scene up in Connecticut. Thompson, not Thompson, uh, Lime Rock yeah. had that cool drift track. And I was like, man. Yeah, that's when like Ready Set was doing in the line. And yeah, we're, I was like, well, we're going to get a drift car down in Florida because the cars are cleaner, no rust, and no they're rust. like cheaper. Bring it up to Connecticut. By the time it got up to Connecticut, no more drifting at Lime Rock. There was no more drifting at Lime Rock, yeah. It kind of backfired like miserably. So like I had this car up there and there was nowhere for us to go. And so you were just doing videos, scaring my mom and my new s <laughs> Put a BR rev limiter in it instead of Sparco oh seats. Oh my God, I forgot all about that. That was yep. like the first thing you did. You bought a BR. No, I think, did it come with BR limiter? No, I put it in. And that was such a curse of an era. So yeah. if you guys weren't around for the BR rev limiter era, it was basically this little ignition box that you would splice into your, your ECU and it would like ignition cut your car so you could have a crazy limiter and spit flames and stuff and it was two step it was two step before standalones we had no idea what we were doing we spliced it into the wires it told us i mean i think you actually did it yeah and you would just turn the knobs until your car sounded cool <laughs> pretty much <laughs> dude it, don't do that on a car with rocker arms <laughs> oh my god you oh my god it was so fine until i was in a parking lot washington dc and i threw a rocker arm in the middle of the night and i had to drive back down to yeah, florida with my me freezing toes trying to like, like diag a, a misfire and i'm like 
we're trying to find you like coil packs and like Dude, injectors I'm changing and stuff. spark plugs at AutoZone at 9 p.m. at stay in the zone AutoZone. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> at 9 p.m. at night, you know, dude, like freezing cold. Like I could couldn't feel my toes anymore. It was it sucked. Yeah. So Adam drove from D.C. to Florida with a misfiring SR20. I drove on three cylinders. I had no idea. I just with had a rocket seats. I don't even know how you like. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the game, it's dude. Of, now all. I'm like, I'll never drive a 240 <laughs> from Connecticut to Florida. Oh, yeah. I did that drive. Yeah. That drive. I'm telling you, I literally, it was so hot that summer, too. I know. Window down the whole time. And you're in your comfy. It, the 335 was like a brand new car at the time. And like, you had good AC, awesome stereo. <laughs> and I'm in the 240, straight pipe. I'm, I'm doing like windows, 75. Jimmy's like down, struggling to do 60. Like, harsh is shaking. <laughs> I'm literally in my boxers the entire t- drive because I was so hot. We would go to truck stops and I was just walking because I was so over it. I'm just me and my boxers <laughs> in the middle of truck stops. That was a good time. Yeah. So, I guess the, the summation of that story mm-hmm. is yeah, there's no drifting in Connecticut. I. At the, around that time, I I started to get to know the people over at BC. Taylor had introduced me to the drift scene, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "All right, OSW just got the skid pad built for the Formula Drift uh, uh, pits. Now they're doing little track days there." Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I I brought the car back down, and I remember going to the first OSW days. There would be like three or four cars and maybe like ten spectators. Really, which now is wild because you go there and there's like a hundred cars, like a mm-hmm. thousand spectators, and it's the same parking lot. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I so like that's like when you started getting into drifting. That's where I kind of like I missed that era, right? Because that's when we like, nowhere to drive. That was like wow, when college was getting serious for me, so mm-hmm. I wasn't around much for like those like first two years that you were doing it. And I just remember you'd like after every event you'd like send me your, your best clips and you were just getting good. And I was like, oh took my a while God. though. <laughs> I mean like you, you got good pretty quick. You, I mean, you're driving a lot. Like yeah. it was, it was cool to see. So I guess in that gap, you're uh, around what time did the, the horn button project come about? Was that pre LS or post LS? Uh, ZX? I think that was like in the mix of it. Like it was weird. Right. When, when I was in school, like I was just like, I always wanted like my little projects. So I was so bored at school. Just like, just do work all day just like school work because i was going for engineering and it was just nothing but homework it was never ending and i was like always trying to keep finding little projects of doing things to keep me busy and i remember the horn button thing i don't know how i stumbled across that. i was like i can make horn buttons in my dorm room i have a little cricket cutter mm-hmm. make stickers i like was like dome epoxying them and putting them on blanks that i bought from china and stuff and i made a bunch for like friends and stuff and i made that like one little like sad face thing because just a sad boy for life <laughs> and like I made a batch for just like me and my friends and and you got one of them and I mm-hmm. had one of them in my, one of my cars and a couple of them just got lost in like toolboxes and stuff and mm-hmm. that was in your um hatch for ever ever yeah and like you always had the GoPro yep. you always had the helmet GoPro. so that was like front and center front and center every video and I loved it it was really cool to see no, it was, it was really cool. And if you guys don't already know, like recently when I came out with my uh, signature steering wheel, I guess uh, probably about a year and a half or so ago, I asked Jimmy if I could bring that back to be the horn button that's mm-hmm. included with the steering wheels. And he was cool enough to let me use that. And we were talking about like maybe making it an own thing and selling it, but it was just, I thought it would be cool for it to be just like part of the package. No, with I the love signature it. I wheel. love it. It just, it brings me right back to those old videos. hundred percent. I remember I had that little like stranger sticker on my, my center gauge mm-hmm. that I didn't have a gauge and it was just always like sticking its tongue out too. And super angsty childhood. Super angsty. Love it. Something's never changed. 
So the, the the horn button thing I remember was like kind of like a little early Jimmy Oaks project and yeah well my whole goal was oh, I was gonna do custom horn buttons and stuff like that you need stickers too like that and really nice one about me that you put on people's <laughs> BMX frames <laughs> big big sticker guy big sticker well I had like a, a a vinyl cutter and I was just like you could create anything and like vinyl stickers remember you go, you would go to car shows and it would just be booths of mm. like the same two hundred car and enthusiast stickers where it's like the baby on board and like all those like rice like ricer stickers and uh that was the vinyl sticker yeah i had one and i could create that who who was making stickers first because i was i was shipping swag out of envelopes when people are sending me coins in the mail <laughs> i mean you got <laughs> i remember you would like meet random kids at the skate park and like you would buy dealing stickers you were dealing st- i was like, you're like hold on some guys come in like he like made these in his art classroom at his co- community college and he was like selling you stickers yeah there was like there was a kid he was yeah. in uh was it adam cook i, I don't think that was his name it was in prospect not prospect not cheshire yeah. it was somewhere out there there's a prefab park yep he made him in his high school he's part of the robotics team that's how he had mm. a plotter and i was buying my stickers you off were, him you were always wheeling and dealing with someone and time and i remember like you actually like kind of helped me get through school a little bit because i would make so many of your lzbmx stickers you would buy them from you would have remember i made a bunch of them really yeah i don't remember that yeah. so you were you were one of my dealers or suppliers i guess yeah you because you got to a point where you were like buying them in bulk so they were cheap and you're like i do remember yeah, in your and little plotter and you just like it got to a point where you couldn't keep up and bro, i think that's when i bought my own plotter well here was you were just you were buying them in bulk from other companies right mm-hmm. and you're like i'm getting them really cheap if you can like match it then like why not right yeah so like i was making these stickers and like you weren't paying me very much but like I don't blame you because you were getting them cheap elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I had this little, little plotter. Like, like, and I figured, it just wide. I figured out how to trick it so we could print infinitely mm-hmm. and not just 12 inches at a time. And it was so loud. And I would put it, <laughs> dude, I'd put it in my laundry room in my, in my dorm room. And I'd put like towels everywhere to dampen <laughs> the noise. I'd let it run all day. And I would just cut LZ stickers. I'd weed them in like, you, I think it was like pe- it was like pennies, but I would make so many, and <laughs> it paid decent. Rob lived off the sticker money for a while too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if I can get a couple hundred bucks, like just like working on the side because it was mm-hmm. like free time, like it was amazing. So like that was fun. I made a lot. Of, if you guys got LZVMX stickers in like two thousand like fourteen to two thousand sixteen, it was probably by me. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't. I didn't even remember that. So you yeah. were going to UConn then? Yeah. Tim. So what, what, uh, I guess the transition from, see, and the funny thing about this too, is I remember Jimmy, I feel like you did your LS swap a little bit before UConn, right? It was, no, I, did it, I did it my junior year of college. Okay. Cause I remember I maybe it was around your tuck bay time. Jimmy was like this mechanical God to me. <laughs> and I was like, why are you going to school to be a, were you going for mechanical chemical? That's what I thought. I didn't want to be a mechanical. Okay. I thought you were yeah. going for chem. And I was like, I will never picture Jimmy working as a chemical engineer. I'm like, dude, you need to open a shop. I remember every time I would see you, I'd be like, Jimmy, you need to open up a shop. You need to, <laughs> you need to work on cars and do this for people. Like you are talented. Like, I knew that there was no money in that. Like, well, there's money in it, but you, it's just a whole different level of like, I wanted you to work. Like I wanted you to have a shop so badly and I knew <laughs> nothing about that, shops, yeah. but I remember I would always try to convince you like, no, no, I'm going to be a chemical engineer. And I was yeah. like, I just never pictured you like, being able to sit at a desk and work a job because yeah. you were always so like, psh, psh, oh psh, yeah, psh, for, for sure. But hated it, organization, just like it's I feel angsty like childhood. It was definitely a little like out of not uh, the term character, but it was a little 
unexpected for me to go to like school for like engineering stuff like that because I was always like like all around the place kind of guy. But like I don't know, I had like this weird like I don't know if it's the way I was raised or something like that. I just knew I had to go to college. Like I, I didn't think there was a, you know, I think we were all kind of raised like our little yeah. generation of like if you don't go to college then like you're done. And um, so I knew I wanted to be an engineer, just didn't know what kinds. And I figured I can learn mechanic, you know, mechanical engineering a book. Like what engineering can't I learn? And I was like, oh, chemical, I'm not going to learn that in a book by myself. So I was like, oh, let's do chemical. Why not? And around, like, what what made you desire to do the LS swap? Where did that come oh, from? Oh, so I, I tucked I tucked my bay in my 3NZX, right? It was beautiful. I, I, I was so proud. I wish I took more photos, but that wasn't like the... It was sick. It, it was so beautiful. I was so proud of that. Like, looking back at, at the time, I, I didn't think I was shit. But, mm-hmm. like, looking back at it, I, that was... For gangster. not knowing anything, like you built a car that's better than nine out of ten people build today. It was weird. I don't even know where that came from. And then, th- but thank you, I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. Um, and it was then, on BBSs too, wasn't it? It in was the early on days? no, I was on um, like Cosmos or something. Jerusalem. Oh, yep, yeah. I remember XT two hundred sixes. I think. So I I don't remember. Yeah, they I were just Cosmos, and they were like the right spec, and they worked out, and it it, it, it looked sick. They yeah. were white, right? They were white. Yeah, yeah, it was a cool look, whatever, and it, it just worked out. And um, I remember the car was like stuck in paint for a really long time, right? That happens all the time, and it was gone. It was supposed to be. I brought it on my my winter break, and I was supposed to get it back for spring break, and then you know spring break go hard, and then whatever. And um. Spring break came, the car still wasn't finished. I was really upset about it. Summer came and I still didn't have the car. And like, all I would look forward to was working on my car. That's it. Like I wanted to be home so I could do car things. And um, I ended up getting the car back like the end of July, which is like the end of the summer. And I was like, I need to enjoy this car. And I literally base shaved that car in two and a half weeks. Like when it came back for paint, the whole tuck to it running was two and a half, like three weeks. Wow. And I like banged it out and I drove it a little bit and like, um, and then it was time to drive it back to school. And I, it was like my victory drive, like my big victory. It was an hour and drive to school. And I got 15 minutes on the road and my oil pump failed and it just locked up. Damn. It was like heartbreaking, like completely heartbreaking because I was, you know, I didn't have the money to afford another engine, especially, you know, VG30 DTT mm. and all the supporting components to it. And so I was trying to figure out, I was like, how do I get this car back on the road with, you know, that's not a, a downgrade. And that's something I could afford. And um, the LS swap at the time was like everything. Everyone was putting LSs in everything. I mean, they still are, but it was like that, yeah. that time where it was like a big deal. It was way cooler back then than it is now. It was way cooler. Where like, every, it's almost like, it was like almost the K-series swap where like every time. I thought people were engine swapping in general back then. Like it was, if you engine swapped a car, it was like a pretty big deal. It was a, it was a huge deal. Like you, like if you had an engine swapped LS, it was like the big car on Instagram, right? Like they would post it, right? And um, there wasn't a lot of like, uh, production parts either for a lot of these swaps. And I think for that sure. was a, that was a big thing. Like now we have so much development. You can get an LS swap kit for almost any chassis. And not even think like, about it. Yeah. yeah. And um, so yeah, LS did my research and I literally spent all my free time at school, like in class, like spacing out, whatever, trying to figure out how I could afford this. I broke it down to the pennies, like, like, Oh, what can I reuse? Blah, blah. And somehow I managed to like afford it. Right. I flipped some stuff, whatever, like cheap down some other, I ended up buying it an LS off of eBay, mm. like buying a motor off of eBay was such a gamble. It was an LS one, which was so much money at the time. They were like four grand and there was one on eBay for $2,400 shipped. And I was like, why is this so cheap? And the guy, the guy gave me some like, Oh, I'm just trying new pricing. Whatever. I bought it and I thought I was going to get scammed, but that's all I could do. It showed up as mint. Sick. And, and then, um, 
LOJ conversions at the time just like came out with their kit for it. And I literally, I was so bad. I like begged this guy for like a sponsorship essentially. Like I, like I, I wrote that. him, I wrote him like this long proposal and like, if you guys are ever running for sponsorships, like now you don't have to like make a story out of it. Just like give some like points, right? Like they want to see value. They want to see that's the biggest thing. They don't want to hear your sob story. They just want to hear how they're going to get an ROI. Exactly. They're they're there for the, they're not there because they feel bad for you. That's really what it is. So, um, luckily I had those points in there. It was like, at that time I was like associated with you and like my Instagram was always like somewhat decent Mm -hmm. for some reason. And like, even at the time, you know, it was probably 30,000 falls, but like back then that was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, back then, like you, if you had a thousand followers, like you were something special. So oh, yeah. to have 30 times that, especially in the, the car Instagram world hadn't really developed to that extent mm, yet either. Exactly. So like you had 30,000 BMX followers, but in the car world that made you like a huge player. Exactly. So I had like some leverage and then I knew I was going to start filming because LZ is like, Oh, if you're going to do the swap, you got to start filming it, blah, blah. And so long story short, he gave me like cost on it, right? Which was a big deal. So I was able to like afford a lot of parts. And so huge shout out to LOJ for like being my first sponsorship. Like I feel bad for that letter he had to read because I probably wrote some crazy stuff. You still stuff. have it? It's probably in my email. And you have I, to find I it. could not read that to myself. I, I would cringe so hard. I need to find my first BC sponsorship proposal and we can, we can compare. Dude, I am like probably red right now thinking about it, but shout, shout out to LOJ big time because they like were such a huge part. Even, in, even wiring specialties, they sponsored me at the time. Really? Yeah. They sponsored me and I probably wrote the same crazy story to them. <laughs> um, but they were one of my first sponsors. It was the funniest thing. Cause I'm, you know, I still do a lot with them to this day and mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool. And, um, shout out to wiring specialties. Shout out to wiring specialties. They kill it. The homies. My boys. Connecticut yeah. boys. Yes, sir. And, uh, oh, that's so funny. And so, yeah, I got, I got these somehow sponsored and like I spent all year planning it. All the parts came in like, as much as stock stuff I could reuse. I reused, I would wire wheel, spray paint, make it look nice, blah, blah, blah. And just, that's it. Just bolted it all together and somehow it worked them in. <laughs> I remember you, you were never the type of guy that like drove your cars. Like you, you very much enjoyed the build and you mm. enjoyed the the process. Well, you know, my big, this is like a funny truth. You were a little yeah. scared of that last braking, weren't you? So I, I, I couldn't afford for my cars to break. Mm. If my car broke, I couldn't afford to fix it. And it made me terrified to drive them because the idea of my car not being able to run and drive like my like mental couldn't handle that which is like kind of funny but it was it was true you know i was i mean i remember in in a similar time frame like my 240 would break and i didn't know how to work on cars so mm. i had money but i didn't have time yeah because of school and everything so i remember like when i hurt my motor the first time or whatever was going on with it, it kept overheating i was so depressed yeah. like my the entirety of my happiness was like based around my car's so ability to drive so i completely understand mm-hmm. that it was bad. Like, so I would like, I was very selective when I drive it or I wouldn't drive it very far. And like, I, cause I just didn't know. Cause I didn't, I, I, I got so far with not really knowing, like I knew like how things worked and like mechanics, but I didn't really have the biggest grasp on like technical aspects of cars. And so like, like my confidence wasn't super high in things just working. Yeah, and so I, I guess I didn't drive it that often. But I mean, you built a car that did run, it did mm-hmm. drive, everything worked. Everything it, worked. It looked great. My first it stayed test, cool. My first test drive, literally my first test drive with it, I didn't touch it for two years. It was, that's like those of you that are listening to this that have built cars know how wild that is. Like, it was insane. To this day, with like a team of like really experienced dudes, like there's still issues mm. that you have on every car. 
Everything. It's inevitable. There's something, a boost leak, a oil leak, a this something leak. Dumb, yeah. Always something. Like whether it's your fault, not your fault. <laughs> Jimmy didn't get lucky. He was born with talent. Oh my God. <laughs> Red. But, then, but that, that car was just cool. It just worked. Like, I mean, I wasn't drifting. I wasn't like putting it to like the test. I was just a street car, but I was very proud of that. But I think it was like until I like put new heads and stuff on it, was like the, yeah, I think like I ended up putting like new heads on it and stuff like a few years ago. And that was the first time I touched it after the first like test drive. Wow. It was weird. It's funny. So we were super close. We were filming a lot of BMX stuff together. You were coming down to Florida. We did mm-hmm. the S13 thing. And then around that time that you did the LSZ, I feel like we kind of not split, but like mm. we grew a little bit more distant. Yeah. And that's that's around the time I feel like you really started with the whole YouTube thing, documenting the LS build project. Yeah. And so, I mean, this you, part of the story, I don't know. I don't know what happened in that time period when, when you decided to start doing YouTube and like when you graduated and mm-hmm. didn't go into the field, like that, that yeah, period dude, of your life, I don't understand. It's such a weird, like I hate to admit it, but it's such a gray area of my life too. Like I don't yeah. remember a lot of the small details and I don't even know why, but like, so the LSZ swap videos, right? Everyone, I've been around since the LSZ swap, like mm-hmm. for the OGs and like you kept telling me to, to, to film it, right? Cause I'm just, it's about to be this big thing and you should film it at the time, blah, blah. And, um, Josh James Bolker was telling me the same things, right? My, my YouTube buddies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I never was interested in the idea of YouTube. Um, it just like wasn't. you were kind of too cool for it. If I'm not gonna lie, you it wasn't you, it wasn't a too cool thing. It was just like I didn't get it. It's not that I didn't get it. I just I I don't. I still have this issue where I don't see like internet people as real. It's like, I feel like at the time you were too cool for it. It wasn't I'm, a cool I'm thing. Gonna, you might I, you might have thought that. You I really think that. that you thought you were because you, cool you thought it was cool. I feel so like cool. you. No, I feel like you you probably talked a little bit of shit about YouTube at some uh, point, at some point, I, maybe not about me, maybe yeah. about other people. So it, I was like, it was, it was, was that like, weird. This, it was that weird area where like people were getting known for being YouTube. So mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. Like I didn't really, I didn't have a desire. I really had no desire to do it. I feel like there was a point too, where like you kind of, I don't want to say you were getting annoyed, but like yeah. people always knew you as like the dude from the Adam LZ videos. Yeah. And it definitely was like a little bit annoying. It was all right. I mean, it didn't bother me as much as you, you might think when I mean, you made the stickers if we need to bring that, that was up. that that was <laughs> that was a friend group thing that got out of hand <laughs> just just for context because i keep bringing this up mm. jimmy made these stickers that said fuck adam lz and like yeah it like wasn't it, wasn't, it was a bmx thing it was though. it was yeah. like fine it was yeah. whatever but he he gave them to did, this dude I, okay. that like didn't like me mike johnson <laughs> no. right so mike L- johnson started lz this. doesn't always mixes up the story and because his brain has it locked in so <laughs> i had i had so mike used to make all my stickers first like johnson mike johnson made, made all mike, my stickers shout out mike johnson i'm, I'm a second mike johnson hates me yeah <laughs> but um he was making all my stickers at the time because he was the first one to get a vinyl cutter and i thought it was the coolest thing ever right we mm-hmm. make the goofiest stickers and we just put them on street signs and stuff it was just weird but whatever just being a teenager and um we we were going to like a big BMX jam and you weren't going to be there. And I knew everyone was going to be like, where's Adam? Where's Adam? Where's Adam? And everyone knew we were tight. Mm-hmm. It's not like people didn't know that we weren't like For super sure. tight. So like if we were, if people didn't know we were tight, it'd be weird, but I knew everyone knew we were tight. So I put a fuck Adam LZ. Sorry. Can I, I don't know what I say. Um, you know, F Adam LZ sticker on my bike at this big jam. And then Mike kept printing them and would give them out. Mm. And so like, that's where it crossed the line. That's where it crossed the line because it was fine. It's like, it's me, you know, it's like, it was it was a bad joke because mm-hmm. we were just dumbass kids yeah, yeah. and it was funny like go to the bike jam it's like ha ah, ha fuck fuck MLC. and um and then like the wrong people ended up with the sticker and it just wasn't people that did want to fuck or sorry people that, <laughs> that, 
people that really felt that way. That really it. felt that way. Like, yeah, because that was like, like, you know. And I had a lot of haters at the time. You did because you were, it was that first time anyone was doing anything like it. Mm -hmm. And you were getting a lot of recognition and like, obviously there's like, people get weird about that, but like, especially in a, the cool guy sport, right? Mm -hmm. The BMX was definitely like a cool, it was a clingy sport almost. Like there was niches to, you know, like to it. And um, yeah, I can go on way too much about that, but yeah. So bring me back through this gray area of you finishing school, so, okay, not so, going to be a chemical engineer. So uh, junior junior year summer going into my senior year, that's when I did the swap, I, I think. I, I think so. And um, yeah, it was. And um, I filmed a couple of videos, right? It was I was just having fun. Um, no, it wasn't even summer yet. It was leading up to summer because I would film on the weekends. That's what it was. I'd have two days to do it, whatever I edited mm -hmm. during the week. And um, I, I like bought the camera on PayPal credit because you told me which camera to buy and stuff mm -hmm. and what editing software to use. Still use Adobe Premiere. Shout out to you for doing that. Thank <laughs> you for that. Um, like imagine if I used iMovie. No, I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> Shout out to Mike. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> People are going to think Mike uses iMovie. I mean, Final Cut Pro basically is iMovie. So. <laughs> for sure. But um, And then the summer started and um, I was like finishing up the swap. It was going smoothly, but like I like... I got like, like really depressed that summer for some reason. And I stopped filming. Like I never told anyone the reason why I was like, I was actually super depressed. I couldn't mm -hmm. figure out why I was just like, whatever. And so I stopped filming it and I like finished it up, whatever. And I'm like, I, I'm upset that I didn't finish it like on camera. Cause it was like, it would have been cool now. Yeah. But, um, I didn't, I just finished it and kind of did my thing. Went back to school. Boom, boom, boom. My channel actually grew like a decent amount. Just like kind of being stagnant with the videos up. And, you know, everyone's like, I'll oh, post more videos. And I was like, I have no interest. Like, I really didn't, like, it didn't do anything for me. Like, it, yeah. was, it was really cool to engage with people, but it was just n not something I actually really cared for. And school was just stressing me out. Like, it was, it was senior year was hard. And then um, I met the Hagger guys. We met them by just basically, I never even heard of Hagger Garage at this point. Like, they were local to me. You were like, you told me one day, you're like, hey, there's this, these guys that do car stuff around here, Hagger Garage. You know how I first found out about them, right? I, the elevator thing. Or yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So I remember yeah. they, they had a, I don't know how I found it, but they had a video of stopping escalators in the Waterbury mall. <laughs> and I was like the Waterbury mall. I like grew up in the yeah, Waterbury we, mall. Yeah, my exactly. sister worked there and like I spent more time there as a kid than I did in my own house. <laughs> and I was like, why are these YouTube car people it's in the Waterbury mall? mall? It's, it's so like, but like who makes YouTube videos in Waterbury? So like, that, like this was me and Jimmy's stomping ground or so it felt like at the time. Yeah, like and, we and would you, go street ride BMX. And YouTube cruise. was such a, a, a small world at yeah. the time. For something to be known on YouTube, you're like, wait, what? Like, um, And then Adam hit me up. He was in town one time and you had your S13. And you're mm -hmm. like, hey, um, I'm going to go down to a town over with these guys that do car stuff. You want to come come with me? And I was like, sure, let's go. Like, why not? Never, I literally knew nothing about him. And we show up. Wait, this was before you had your Wallingford shop, right? Yeah. That's how I got my long for a job. So we can, leave. I mean, we could talk about the whole hacker story, but like. Because that's, that cul-de-sac, is that the cul-de-sac that later became the cul-de-sac that your shop's in? Yes. I just now realized that. Yeah. I remember pushing that Miata that wasn't registered. While being chased by. Like, police and, yeah. or sorry, not police. No, by it was police. Angry gym people calling were, the police. Which were, that's a police gym. In like, the in, parking lot of what future became your current shop. I never the, made that connection. Yeah, it's crazy. So we show up and there's just a bunch of dudes 
in a bunch of really haggard Miatas. They had a truck and a two-car trailer. And I'm like, what are these? Like, what is happening? I've never seen anything like this in my life. And like, we're going to go street drifting. I'm like, okay, let's go. I had my S13. I think we were in my S13, my yep. my, uh, my coupe. We were in that parking lot, right? And I'm like, cool, let's go street drifting. Like, all right, we're going to load up. And I'm like, <laughs> me and you going to load up. And they literally just threw two Miatas in this enclosed trailer, which was like a car and a half trailer, but it could fit two Miatas. And they were towing it behind the van too. I, was it the van? It was the van. Cause I remember like, how oh are God. they going to, it was a two car trailer yeah. getting towed behind the van. And I, okay. I'll give props to Ryan. He mm-hmm. could whip that freaking thing. He was not scared to go anywhere. We go about back. You made some turns that I was impressed with. Zero That's panic. why I remember the van. Yeah. Zero panic. And we were just like driving around this town that we weren't super familiar with at the time. I, I was a town I worked in for mm-hmm. a long time, but I wasn't super familiar. And we we're just like trying to find parking lots of stuff to like do clutch kicks. Yep. And we would like find parking lots. We'd they'd unload the Miatas in like four seconds. I don't They had like quick release straps or something. And we'd do like one donut and people would come running and yelling at us. Cause right, you can't really get away with much in CT at least like yeah. in certain areas. And I was just, I was just like, what is it? It was, it was a special this? day. It was a special, I was so just like, what is this? And then, um, yeah. And then like from that day on, I remember like, like I ended up like, I think like Cam DM me or like a Reiner time, like we DM'd each other a few times and I'd come home every weekend from school because I hated being at school. Like mm. it was only like an hour and a half away, but I just like, I was a car guy and like car guys just don't go to college. Like it's just like a different, like, you know what I'm saying? Like mm. it's just like, I was, all my friends were home. Is it safe to say you were kind of like Hannah Montana, like you were living two lives? Like you were, Miley, you were Miley Cyrus in was, school and then you're Hannah it. Montana when Big you were came on. No, it was like all my <laughs> friends were back home working already building cars and I'd be at school all week busting my ass so I can not have to do schoolwork on the weekend. Like mm. it was nonstop. And so I come on the weekends and want to do car stuff and like no one had shops at the time. Like no one could really afford shops. And like Haggard was like, yo, like come hang out, come help us wrench. I'm like, cool. I want, I'd love to go wrench. Let's go wrench. That sounds sick. You know? See, so, I, n- I never knew you went and helped them wrench. You didn't know that? Yeah. I didn't know this part of the story. And so like, I like, I was like, I still never really seen any of their videos. I was like, oh, car guys doing car things. And it was like the time that Trevor was doing their burnout comp with them. Really? And they're like, yo, we're going to boost this, fu- this, um, what was it? It was a, was a Ford Taurus or something like that. Cause mm-hmm. it had like the Mustang engine. We're going to boost it. And we're going to do a burnout with it against Trevor from motion auto. And I was like, yeah, fuck that guy. I don't know who he <laughs> is. Like now Trevor's a good friend. Yeah. And it's just, it's funny how it circles back. But like, um, I was like, cool. And so like, I would just kind of hang out there and I'm like, not really getting in the way. I'm just like, this is interesting. And, um, you know, they would like ask me questions and I'd help here and there. And like, um, we, I, I would, I hung out with them like every once in a while. And then like, I'd come, I'd, um, and then I brought like two of my other friends down there to hang out, just whatever. And then we came like kind of, we became friends. And then um, I was talking about wanting to get a shop, like how badly I wanted a shop. Cause like a car guy getting your first shop is like this heat. It's like buying your first house. Yep. It's super exciting. It's like, especially with your friends, it's like the dream of every local like car group. It's just to get your own shop together. And Orion was like, yo, like he proposed to me. He's like, I'll get another bay because they had a couple bays under my name and you know i'll just store one car in there and you guys can handle the, the rent and i was like sold right so ryan was actually cool enough to um to kind of like get us the the lease there and then that like you know you know that's so that that ended up being my shop and i'd work with them and they'd be next door and like so you know we, we were like in the um the universe mm-hmm. <laughs> and um then it kind of spiraled into this thing where like maybe i'll pick i was 
I saw the camera then, you know, every time I was there, I saw the camera because they were filming. I was like, oh, you know, like, you know, you should vlog in, you should vlog in. Yeah, you know, it sounds kind of cool. You know, and then um, that summer came, I graduated and um, I had a really bad year, just a really, really bad year. And, you know, I was in my car accident and it like, you know, messed my body up, but also messed my head up pretty, pretty bad. You know, like I didn't think I'd ever be able to ride BMX again. And like, though I wasn't riding avidly, it still was like heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, and like I was already our angsty ass dude anyways. And like, it was, it was, it was bad. And like, so I graduated and I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to take the summer off. I don't want to get a job. I can't get a job right now. I just, I need this time for me. And, um, I was just filming and we were having a good time, you know, and Drew was there. Jip was there. All the guys were there, Don, whatever. We were just goofing around and it was like working and I wasn't making a lot of money. I wasn't making shit for money, but like I was making enough money that it felt like a job, even though I would have been making, you know, way more as an engineer. Mm. But it like, I was like, wow, this is like a, this kind of works. And I like, you get kind of tunnel vision with it, right? Like, yeah. you know how it is. You just like you, you, with the YouTube stuff, you just focus on the next day. And eventually it just kind of spiraled. And it was just like this. And I just never stopped. That's crazy. How like, what, like why, why do you think someone asks this? Why do all these YouTubers come from Connecticut? What's the thing? Why, what is it about Connecticut? It's funny because like, like, I don't think there was any, like, underlining trigger. It's almost like a crazy coincidence, right? And um, I don't know. Is it the type of energy that girls going to get? Is it because we've all interlinked with each other at this point? Like, I mean, mind you, I'm sure there's, like, people that come from other states. People just probably think of it. But, like, when I think about automotive YouTube mm. on the East Coast, maybe I'm, I'm biased, but I think of Connecticut. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, we, we've kind of built this cool little – and now it's a friend group. And you know, I, but – I think one thing that's helpful too is, you know, I'll give Hagrid props. Like they, there's some negatives, yeah. but yeah, they, yeah. they helped other people grow. For you know, sure. they, they put, they, they put they, some people on the map for and sure. it created this diffusion of, see the thing is like, I feel like, like I, I'll never want to like, there's a lot of negativity behind them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of positivity and like, it's really easy to, <laughs> to talk about the negative and like, you know, they were, they're young. They were young. They're still young guys. And I think it was a group of friends that just like, kind of was put in a position very quickly with an image and it just kind of like spiraled right and um i i well that's a whole nother story but what whatever but um they they definitely opened up a world which is really cool i think the better answer is it's something in the pizza it's something in the pizza mm -hmm. that's why are you, are you a peppies or a sally guy i haven't been to sally's neither have i i just eat peppies it's so I mean, yeah, Pepe's is good, but like I was a big Carmenuccio's boy. Yeah, remember. so if you're ever in Cheshire, Connecticut, uh, Pop's Pizza, mm -hmm. do it. Tell them I sent you. Mm. They won't even know what you're saying. <laughs> if you're like, yo, Jimmy sent me, they'd be like, who? But I go there all the time. It's so good. So <laughs> you're, a, you're, a, you're a fresh chemi, yeah. as they refer to the chemical engineers. Mm -hmm. you're, you graduate college. You're now a full-time YouTuber uh -huh. with your shop. With a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering. <laughs> what, what was the transition... So of when you went from a solo dude making YouTube videos mm -hmm. to starting to have people work for you? Um, so it was it was funny, right? Because like for me, there was like no big break. It was like this steady, slow growth. And there was so many points. And like a lot of people always kind of like throw it back at me where like we'd have Q&As and I'm like, dude, I can't do this anymore. And to be honest, I don't even know how I did it for so long in the position I was in because I could have easily just gotten a job. Mm -hmm. and like done that but it just like it was one of those things you just kept doing it and you just don't think about it and eventually like over the last four years it's just like 
gotten to a point steadily where I need help and I'm, I'm able to have help. And it's fun, you know, like we did the merch stuff and like bringing the merch on, I was able to hire RJ, which RJ is both of our longtime friend. Um, RJ bought your, bought your first t-shirt. He was, he was my first customer first ever, customer bought ever. my first t-shirt and he helped me do my first ever mod on my first car. The airbox. We right? went to AutoZone. I love that. True story. I think it was like in the middle of a skate park set, skate park session. You're like, I want, right? Wallingford Bike Barn. We were at Wallingford Bike yeah. Barn and he was like, dude, you need an intake for your car. Okay. Hold on. Side note. RJ was the first car guy. He was a car guy before we were car guys. I want to give the props to him. He had a legacy. <laughs> no, 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 no. He had an Integra. He an te- it was a dope Integra. Yo, it was a nice car. It was sick. I remember he did like a, he got second gear rubber going over the train tracks. I think he had like a carbon fiber hood and hatch and stuff. Yep. Like or he was like working at the car wash. Yo, when I was at Woodward and I yeah. knew nothing about my car, he was in my cabin. That's when I first met him. And he was, he was telling me to get this, these parts for my car and, you're just like shut up <laughs> it was him and this other kid who's who's now like a, a 240 240 guy jeffrey mcdonahue jeff as most old bmx kids are jeff and rj were like heavy you need to do this to your bmw yeah, you yeah. need to do this oh that's so funny so anyway rj yeah so that that first move to hiring someone that's a pivotal moment in pivotal, anyone's business journey terrifying what what was that like Tell me about it. Talk oh, to me. What was your concerns? What worked? Oh, what this, didn't work? Now we're going to talk business. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is what the podcast is supposed yeah. to be about, but we had to get there. Okay? For sure. For, oh, we, my bad. I didn't know that. We just... It's okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. like reliving a little bit of my childhood through uh, this. So hiring someone for the... I mean, it's still, it still feels so new, but like um, hiring something some scary, right? Because you're like... I was kind of like, RJ, hey, you want to quit your job and like work for me and do this and all that? And like uh, RJ was in a made decent money like he was and he'd been helping us too at his old job like he had kind of been selling us parts i remember about ctsv calipers yeah. like he was heavily involved with us for sure rj's always been a great friend he's, yeah he's one of my like longest friend most consistent friend mm-hmm. he's and he's always been around he was in my first ls swap video that's what's you know the first one mm-hmm. i think it was his birthday that we filmed mm-hmm. it and um i just knew like i needed someone and rj was like the one guy I can think of because I wanted a friend, right? I, I like, I wasn't in a position to like just hire some random person cross my fingers, but I knew RJ was kind of like our dad friend. Like he was always the most strategic. Like RJ's like very, like he has a booklet, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of guy. And so I was like, that's the guy I need. And you know, RJ truly, I always knew had my best tension intentions in mind, which is rare. You know, it's a rare thing these days. And um, so it was like, boom, hi RJ. And um, I proposed it to him. I was like, Hey, how much to quit your job? Like, like how much can I pay you a week? Cause I didn't know like mm-hmm. what someone's like, what you're supposed to pay someone under the table and whatever and stuff like that. And he gave me a number and I was like, okay, I think I can make that work. Let's make it work. Boom. Hired RJ. And, and what did he do for you? Um, and then we're, so I already had like, I tried doing the merch thing by myself because I was working with like third party companies and I really didn't like it and it mm. wasn't really working out. And I just don't think it was like, I, mean, I might have not been on because it does work out well for some people, but I wasn't on the right path. And I was like, you know, you, you push me heavily. I always advised everyone. And like, I think Tanner Fox is probably one of the biggest examples mm. of this. So they, they, it's very daunting to handle your own merch when there's these turnkey companies that will do it for you. But I always advise people to do it themselves to at bare minimum, learn what things cost, what it takes to do it. Mm-hmm. So you don't get screwed over. Exactly. Cause so. a lot of these third party companies would be like, just, just feeding on the profits of your company. Like, For sure. It's hard. Cause like you sell like, 
you know, 400 shirts, right? It's a mm. lot of shirts. Say, say you should, you feel like, and a company would write you like a $500 check and you're just like, like, yeah. I just, and you work so hard to sell all the shirts and you could tell a lot of people invested money in you by buying said 400 shirts and you're like, it almost felt weird that like people were investing so much money in you and you only got so little of it. You couldn't do enough with it. Yep. And so like, it is great to do it yourself and learn, you know, so you. you I mean, that, that's what happened with yeah. me. I, I made my, I was riding for loyal clothing and <laughs> I remember like, I sold so many of their shirts and they like fought me when I was like asking for like more free shirts for myself. Like I would just get declined when I would ask for more clothes. And I was like, man, this sucks. I remember and I thought that was the coolest thing ever when you got sponsored by like a random. Cl- yeah, it was company. cool. And like, I think they sent me a frame. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, we, oh, they yeah. like made a one-off frame. So that was a whole weird thing. But hmm. I remember being at Wallingford Bike Barn. I think RJ saw the the shirt as well. Like my first high hops, low cars shirt. Mm-hmm. I like paid this. Mike Johnson. R- I, Mike Johnson did it. Yeah. And then he, ma- so, he made the design. And he, vectorized it, right? I think yeah, something. he didn't, he didn't vectorize it. So he made yeah. the design, which I later found out he like ripped off some forum that some other guy drew. So I like wound up <laughs> having to like pay that guy or no do, way. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> but it was a cool design. And then I, I couldn't do anything with it because none of the printers would touch it. So then I f- had this other kid in my high school, Kevin Keen. I had him vectorize it. But anyway, I remember uh, like around that time, like RJ, RJ, you, the Wallingford bike barn mm-hmm. crew. Like I remember showing that shirt there and Brian Hona, uh, the owner of Wallingford bike barn. That was like kind of me and your mentor at the time around then. Like he, yeah, he was, a yeah, he sure. wanted to help us. And I don't, I don't think he had any part to do with my shirts, but like, he definitely was pushing us in the right direction and he was a, he was definitely a good influence for us growing up. For sure. Shout out to Brian Hona if you somehow end up hearing this. Who is, he's related to Brian Hall, right? He's Brian Hall's brother-in-law. Got it. And Just in my, case. My self-proclaimed, my self-proclaimed father. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was a very, like very big dad figure to us. Big dad figure. And he's just, just a very smart guy and very progressive and he did a lot. He definitely did a lot for us. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Brian. But uh, when it, we talked, I, I worked at that bike shop. We never talked about that, but I yeah. worked at a bike shop in basically in high school mm-hmm. and that was like our spot. So I would go, I was sponsored by them and this <laughs> bike shop was an hour and 20 minutes away from me. <laughs> I know, but but it was such go. a treat when you'd come visit and it was like a big deal. It was Wallingford. Like that, those were the early Wallingford days before all the shops around Wallingford and it just circled back in. Yeah. All right. So, so okay, yeah. <laughs> going backwards, RJ, the kid that would show up at Wallingford bike barn with his cars that we would ooh and ah mm-hmm. over. It what, was, what was the, 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 first worst thing that you could think of that occurred and the first best thing that happened? Um, so not realizing my lack of communication, I still have that issue. Mm-hmm. Cause like I just assume too much because there's always so much going on. That's the thing with like the YouTubing stuff. There's a million and a half things spinning at all times and you have to be ahead of yourself at all times. And like, so it makes you kind of overlook certain things. So I just assume I just assume a lot, like, oh, that's working, boom. And so I know we had a lot of issues with that. Like, that's a big thing. And I can, I, I can imagine. Me and James had a lot of issues in the beginning with communication. Mm. And part of it was because I was so busy, I would be super short with him. Yep, same. And, like, before yeah. I even hired him to do more than design work, he would, like, pour his heart and soul into a design. And You'd be like, my, yep, good to go. You have send it. Or, yeah. or I would be, like, change the 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 color to red. Yeah. And I wouldn't give him any sort of, like, positive <laughs> reinforcement. And then like Exactly, because you're just like, you got this. Good. Okay, go. Yeah. Because we just... You know, we were around people all the time, but we're never trained to deal with managing someone or leading someone. And a lot of that stuff you would think should come natural, but it doesn't. It does not. And it's crazy how much of an impact 
how you communicate with someone and the positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, oh, however yeah. you go about it can actually affect the productivity of someone that it, works for it's you. It's so important. And I'm still, I still have so many issues with it. I try. It's just, um, it's, it's insane. It really is. You can either spend full time managing people and getting the most out of them, or you can get those diamonds in the rough like RJ, mm-hmm. like James, and that's the that thing can that work <laughs> without have needing a lot of management and a lot of and direction. That's been my saving grace mm-hmm. because RJ is, is so well self-managed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That it makes up for my lack of management skills and the fact that he's just one of my just close friends. So, and that's what you need ultimately for you to be able to be freed up and do the YouTube things and do the things that you love, that mm-hmm. you're passionate about, that brings more revenue to the business. You need effectively, I mean, I don't know what, what his, title is but you need a manager and you need the people to report to him and not to you for sure it's it's hard right because like i could do things all day inside like the merch stuff like i could be working all day like a whole week and then like you forget you're like wait that business only exists because i'm doing this other business right mm-hmm. the whole youtube thing and so it's like it's, it's a crazy balance because you just never have enough time for both yeah and you know it's easy to get sucked into it but you know, we, we've done it ourselves and mm-hmm. like, I'm grateful that we did it ourselves for and sure. It's, it's, it's even if, even if you make similar money, it's just so much more re- rewarding. And now I'm able to employ friends and have them in my environment and create the environment that I want. That's like one of the best parts about it is I can now create, create my own environment, which is, I mean, what you do for a living, that's, ha- that's most of your life, you mm-hmm. know? So if you can make a living that is the right environment, it's, so rewarding it's amazing being able to work with your friends and like i've i feel like my best friends are the people that i've always worked with and it's awesome but at the same time it does create a little bit more of a difficult dynamic it is for sure so what of that has been challenging for you um we're all moody creatures right Mm. all of us especially when when there's when it's with friendships because with friendships you can cross different boundaries more casually yep and so that makes things difficult trying to like keep people happy is a big thing you know and keeping tensions between you know it's really easy to piss people off it is so easy like you could so act like you could have the purest intentions Mm -hmm. but you could still piss someone off because it's just you know that's how that's how easy it is so just trying to like help coordinate all that when you're spending so much time with people trying to keep heads from accidentally pissing each other off yeah. is definitely probably one of the hardest things. And I feel like too, because of the fact, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like both of us aren't necessarily emotionally empathetic people to where like we can, we don't realize like we'll hurt someone's feelings and we'll be completely clueless about it because we're not, we're not really thinking through what we're saying that much. Or and we're you're so just, busy. You're so busy. You don't even have time to think about that. Yep. And so like communication is so big. I tell anyone, I'm like, Hey, if you're mad at me, please let me know right away because I will fix it. Because mm-hmm. I know I, I, I had good intent, like I know I had great intentions. So if, if I did something that made you feel otherwise, let me know because I will fix that right away the, the best way I can. And so it communications, everything because if not, not, it just blows up. And I, I lean on people heavily for that too, because I don't, I can't identify sometimes when someone's mad at me. Yeah, it's so... And that's what I mean by lacking emotional empathy. Like, I, I'll upset someone because I said something and be completely clueless to it. Because you're running around doing four and things. And then, I'll, and, you said. <laughs> and then I'll catch wind of it, like, five days later. And it's the worst thing if, to it, find out that you upset someone. Like It hurts. It, it, it yeah. sucks. It really sucks. Because you know that that was the last thing that you had. Yep. 
you know, that's definitely one of the hardest. Especially with friends, it's it's much more complicated, and so you much know, more. there's so much more behind it. You you're gonna let friends get away with more too on the flip side because you care about them and they're your friends, and it's difficult to, you know, reprimand or yeah, exactly. steer them in the right direction because you've known them outside of the the business dynamic. And um, if you bend it that sorry, way, sorry. Well, you're good. <laughs> um, going along with that, you know, like I've just today had my first day ever after nearly 10 years of running business, hired someone, my new assistant, Marissa, mm-hmm. that isn't a friend and isn't someone that I've known, isn't someone that's been around. And it's scary. I can't even imagine. Like, don't like she's not scary. No, I know. But and like, it's not a scary procedure, but like, it's so much easier. Like yeah. I always had my biggest advice, you know, I went through this with Colette recently with Nick is try out, try it before you buy it. Right. Yeah. Bring someone on for a project, have them hang around, have them help. Like she was so worried about mm. having a filmer, having a mechanic. Cause it's like, Oh, if I don't vibe well with them, then I'm stuck. They might move out here. For, so I'm like, yo, work with them and like have them come for a week and work on a project for you. And if it works great, most of the people in my life that work for me, like that's how it started. James yeah. was a graphic designer. Johan came to help me after hours. You know, Sean was a friend that, you know, it was more so him like having a fringe vouch for him. Marco oh, yeah. would help us and hang out and we would meet him at Titan. Like just be around. Like if you need to hire someone, don't necessarily take that dive. And with Marissa, I took that dive, yeah, but she's yeah. rad and I'm, I'm excited. And now I have the tools to be able to identify people. Well, and, you went off a resume for once. Usually yeah. it's like you see it and you're like, yeah, that he'll work, you know, but mm-hmm. you actually went off a resume this time, which was pretty funny. And through that, so like I've never really done anything with resumes. I remember I used to need to make them when I was in uh, business college. Yeah. And they would teach you how much can you stretch out this one thing? If you were, if you were to apply to a company, what do you think would be the most important thing of your resume? Job experience. Or sorry, sorry, not, not necessarily your resume, but your, your, uh, your application for a job. Cause I'll, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Like me for the first time ever being in the employer seat, I can just tell you in like a second, I, I the one thing everyone was missing. I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know. Not a single person that applied to work here wrote anything directed towards what the job description was. <laughs> it was like they all just like like took their resume, Copy. dragged it from their desktop, dropped it in, and just had some automated message. Like I thought that bots were applying for the job. <laughs> if one person was like, hey, I did some research and it looks like what you do is cool and I think it'd be super interesting they probably would have been like 70 million points higher. <laughs> but not a single person did that. Because did it make you just feel generic? Like they were just applying to for the sake of having a job? Yeah. Like yeah. they're like it, it literally went from like, I like I want to hire people. I yeah. value people. Like people are more important to me than anything. Like I like to think, even though this isn't a family business, like we're like a family and mm. I treat it like a family business. I'm not trying to scale. I'm not trying to have random people. Like I, I just want to have my core crew and mm-hmm. I just want to kill it and be effective and whatever. So to have these, this sea of just sameness, just, just firing resumes. I, I literally, I remember printing like a hundred resumes and it's like, I was going through them and there was not a single one that stood out to me. Mm. Just to gen- generic what they teach you in school, like stretch out what you did at your summer vacation job where. No, I mean, they know. were, they were great resumes. Yeah, but like, you know what I mean? But like, it was just nothing, I'm nothing thinking, really felt that applicable. And Marissa, yeah. like, her, her resume stood out just because she had a lot of experience and things that could be connected to here. Like sure. not anything automotive, but just like, you know, stuff with managing property that made connections here and mm-hmm. stuff with running a business and social media and merchandise, like all these things yep. that I could see 
being applicable. And I leaned on my sister, who's like a real estate mogul, like super badass. Mm-hmm. I've, I need to get my sister on podcast because no one knows she even exists. My sister down here, and she's the the craziest human being ever. I, I've only ever heard you. Have you met her? N- I think oh, I've like shooken hands with her in passing, mm-hmm. but I, I've only ever heard you rave on about her. So I I talked to her and like you know. I had a business coach and he was like, you know, lean on people around you that, you know, know what's up. And like, cause I was so overwhelmed with this resume and she, she went through them for me. And Marissa was a, a huge person that mm. she highlighted because she identified a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't. Yeah. Sorry. I don't, I didn't mean to, to hijack the conversation. No, no, it's cool. I like to hear it. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. This is also good, great background information for people listening. Right. Cause this is a big part of, and I don't know if she'll be on the channel. Like maybe she is at this point. Maybe she isn't. Yeah. But like, yeah. Yeah, like maybe I'll never post about it and this but will be the only time they hear about it. Hopefully now it allows you to be on the channel. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's, that's the and that's purpose, the whole right? Thing, like exactly. when, you, when you hire people, you're trying to free yourself up to do what you're best at and yeah. to put people in place that can work autonomously and not need to be micromanaged and you to not micromanage them is the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find yourself micromanaging or like being too involved sometimes and you don't need to be? Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. But it's, it's, and that's the thing with being a new, I guess, um, employer, right? It's just trying to figure out how to create bigger paths so you don't have to like guide the little things, right? Yep. And also too, I feel like just, you know, sometimes, you know, you can do something better than someone else and just, and you're like, just give it to me. It's, yeah. It's, but like to just lean on them and let them figure it out and mm-hmm. not intervene, but like they kind of need to do that to learn can be a challenge for sure. What do you think, like today's state, your business, the people that work with you, the people that are around, what do you think your biggest challenge is? Uh, my biggest challenge, that's that's how, I, I feel like um, I'm a big people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Like I always have been, it's just like whatever. And um, I just feel like keeping everyone happy is hard, right? Just a lot of people doing a lot of things at once together all the time always creates tension. So just making sure everyone's happy and like things are flowing efficiently and like the right communication. Cause like we talked about communications, everything. And, um, just making sure all of that working comfortably is, is probably one of the biggest, biggest challenges. I mean, that was my biggest thing that I dealt with last year and being YouTube people and being on camera, if the environment and the mood isn't right, you're not going to film. No, it's, it's so you're hard. not going to go make a video because you know, in a normal job, you just push through. Yeah, you just push. You can, you can, you can have your gloomy Monday. Just sit at your desk, whatever. Get over it. Go home. Be happy. But that doesn't work on video. No, does does not work. You can't have your gloomy Monday. Mm-hmm. You can't be in your mood because you you just want to get through the day. You have to. And you're a lot happier now than you used to be. Because I remember, I remember in the early days of Jimmy YouTube. I remember <laughs> I used to come visit you. And our morning drive, we'd stop at Duncan and he would just be, he'd be so miserable. And then you pull out the camera, you're like, <laughs> that's a little dramatic. It was super extreme in the beginning. Now you're, is, now was. you're like that all the time. You're it just, was. you're a happy person. But in well, the beginning, it's, like, it's, it's you were always just that. Mm. Because it was, I was just a Connecticut thing. It was it rainy. Was. And I also was not angsty. in a position where I wanted to be. Yeah. I really wasn't. I knew that the, like, the potential to be in the position I want to be was there, mm-hmm. but I just was not. And like, especially like coming out of college feeling like you, you're at zero again. It was just a weird feeling. Yeah. You know, but you made it work. You made it work. You're here. You got, you got a bunch I'm on of the LZ or the scenic route. Or is it scenic group? Yeah. Yeah. The, you're on the scenic route. <laughs> I'm on the Adam scenic LZ. route podcast. You I made it, made it mom. I hope you're listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
you now have a few different facets of your business. You mm-hmm. have YouTube. Yep. You have car part sales, big linkies you dealer, big gold plaque, link, yep. slinging five. them ECUs. Slinging it up, yeah. Um, selling Nardies, mm-hmm. selling clothes. You got a merch side of your business. You've got now a, a rap group, Jimmy Main. Jimmy Main. And crew. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Main and gang. Jimmy, Jimmy Main and gang. Yep. Yeah. And then you have the tuning aspect, which is mm-hmm. kind of... I don't want to say the last subject, but the, the last big topic I want to dive into. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're this guy, you're this guy, you had an engine, you swapped the engine, you drove it, yeah. didn't really do much with it. Yeah. At what point cool. did you decide, Hey, I want to take these engines and I want to start playing with the VE. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, here's the thing, right? Like being a car guy, I feel like the, the ultimate thing is tuning, right? It just sounds so magical and so gangster. Mm-hmm. Like it just sounds, it's just so cool. Like, like going back to like the Shea Bay stuff, just wanting to like do everything. You wanted to be King Cock. I wanted to learn it all. Like I hate, <laughs> I hate when there's mysteries with car, right? Mm-hmm. I hate when I look at a car and I'm like, I don't know how that works. It just pisses me off. I'm mm-hmm. just like, why? Like, and so like tuning was that last bit, right? And it always seems like a mystery to everyone. It's like, how do I get into it, right? Do I just plug a laptop into a car radio and I can get into the computer? And I just did not understand it because there's not a lot of good inf- information out there unless like you're really digging for it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, also like just no desire to dig in the forums and do all that. So, um, you know, we met, you know, like Jack Cecil from HP logic mm-hmm. and, um, you met Jack before Jamie. So I knew of Jamie, mm-hmm. right? I knew of Jamie, I knew of Derek, but I didn't really know them. And we met Jack just through like Tommy going down or whatever. And Jack was tuning in. Like it was the first time I was like around it. And I was like, Whoa, you know, like he's just doing this damn and like i was kind of like you know poking my head and they're like what are you doing you know and jack's like go away <laughs> and like no he's not jack's amazing and um i was like oh okay and that was like my first introduction to standalone and then i was like well i was like this is just a thing and then i met justin it's probably jumping all over the place because mm-hmm. it's just a jumble but um and a lot happened at once and it worked out a justin um f- from morpheus or morfab now mm-hmm. and he did a lot of standalone stuff too and he was really close friend at the time. He was helping out a lot. Justin was a huge shout out to Justin if you're listening to this. Justin and Jamie shared a shop at one point, did they not? They did back in the mm-hmm. day. Yeah, it's a tight. You know, it's all connected. So yep. like everything. And um, Justin, great great, Justin's a great guy. He's amazing. And um, he kind of like introduced me to my first standalone, which was like Nismotronic, right? Which was a modified stock ECU. So it worked as a standalone, but it was still a, a stock ECU. Um, and he showed me the insides of it. And like gave me the rundown, right? Because um, he he knew that I knew how, you know, the mechanics of everything. But mm-hmm. like he was able to like not give me the form answer. He was able to give me the like, hey, it's just it's just this, you know, like ooh, okay, cool. And I took that and kind of ran with it. And then we turboed RJ's Miata, right? And I didn't like you forget that tuning such a big aspect of things. And like Jack would send us maps for it. He'd just be like, Oh, is it like running? Like we'll get the AFR as like get a log. And then I'd send him a, the, the two and he'd send it back and be great. Boom. And then one time uh, I met my buddy, Ken, it, it could go cool. Great. So we met my buddy, Kenny who owned the dyno locally. And Kenny was like, yeah, put in my dyno. And I was like, I'm going to plug into this thing. I'm going to figure out what to do. Not knowing anything. I couldn't even get, I couldn't even connect to the car. <laughs> I couldn't even connect to it. And Derek was there. And he just tuned a car previously and he's seeing me struggle trying to get into a mega square ECU because I couldn't get it to connect. And he just looks at me and he's just like, what the are you doing? Because <laughs> you know how Derek yeah. is. He's like, give me that. <laughs> <laughs> Derek got into it and he just hopped and he just started tuning the car. And I'm sitting there like with my face in it, just 
in awe. Like, this is sick. You know, I've already seen the inside of Megan Square, mm-hmm. and he's just Derek's big, lanky ass in the Miata with his. Just interpolating. Just ter- interpolating shit. And, just like, <laughs> like, and it was like, I was so mind blown. I just thought he was the cool. I still think Derek's the coolest dude ever. He's and, pretty um, cool. He's cool. Don't let him know that though. Um, he probably is too cool to listen to. He's this, too, if yeah. I'm being honest. Don't let Derek know he's cool. Just don't tell him. Yeah, tell um, him he's not cool. Tell, yeah, just DM Derek, bootleg burn, and bootleg tune, and just say, you're just not a cool guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> 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 he's going to read his text. He's going to be so confused because no, this is going to come out of nowhere. He'll see a DM and be like, you're not a cool guy man and just put his phone down <laughs> and, uh, and then that's how i met derek and then like between uh justin and derek i had so many guys to like bounce my questions off of right i was able to go in there and just start moving stuff around and when like i was stumped on something little that just needed a quick answer that you just can't form search i'd call derek or i'd call justin they just answer for me and then same with jamie i met jamie marsh which is uh you're i guess he do, does a lot of things for you now mm-hmm. he's just such a talented such a Jamie's a legend. That's probably one of the best ways he's. No, Jamie was like the dude. Like the dude. Like, like he was the SR god. He was like the, had dr- the SR dr- record. The Drake of tuning. <laughs> he still is the Drake of. tuning. He's still the Drake of tuning, and we, but we knew him like that, and I became friends with him. He was untouchable. Him. Untouchable. Like even even like when I was like successful on YouTube, was like there's no way Jamie Marshall tuned a car yeah, for me. There's no way Jamie Marshall. Way he tuned he, my, way too Hollywood. He, he tuned my first like standalone car. Yeah, and I, I thought I was like. Oh my God, this is happening. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and becoming friends with him. And, you know, um, Jamie's one of those guys that he, you know, he's, he'll, he'll, don't answer. bring your girlfriend around. Jamie. Don't bring your girlfriend. They Jamie. will fall in love with they him. They will. You're, you're, don't you're bring screwed. your boyfriend around Jamie because they'll fall in love with him too. Don't bring your dog. The dog will fall. The, uh, yeah. Whatever. He has this, 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 <laughs> this marsh effect. The marsh effect. <laughs> also known as Daddy Marsh, but that's. <laughs> 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 But, uh, oh my God, that's so funny. Um, but like Jamie was great. And like, so same with Derek. It's just like, they knew that I wasn't asking dumb questions and they knew that I was actually going to use the information, which mm-hmm. is like, and I appreciate that. Right? If someone wants to ask me a question, I will answer all day is if I know they actually truly want to know the information, I'll tell them anything. It's the worst though when people ask you and just you know a, that they're just like, yeah. I, I hate when people ask questions and they don't really care about the answer, but they're yeah. just like looking for an excuse to talk to you. Exactly. And like, you know, I get it if you want to talk, but yeah, like, well, no, but if you want to talk, Talk. Yeah. Talk. Like, let's talk. Don't ask something that you think we want to know. Cause if you don't really want to know the answer, you don't know what you're talking about. It's really frustrating because it's stuff it that is. we're typically passionate Very about. Passionate about. Yeah. So it, it, it comes so across much, yeah. more rude, even though you just want to talk, like it can come across as rude and it. Yeah. Ask me about my day, not how to scale a V map or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and um, so that like, I was able to take like my, I don't know, my, I'll say automotive prowess, mm-hmm. whatever. And my dorky chemical engineer self. And then I had these, this contacts of information I could ask stupid questions to that only, it would only need to be one more answer. And just all of that being applied, boom, tune cars. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy, there's a lot of mechanical engineers Lots. that go into mechanical engineering because they're into cars. Mm-hmm. They want to do something that they can somehow connect cars. And this was exactly. me at the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, I get that a lot. But they don't realize how rare it is that they'll actually have a mechanical engineering job. That's as hand on as they imagine. For sure. It's, I get this, I get DM'd a lot. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of, a lot of guys know I went to school for engineering and um, you know, it's hard. You're, you're a car guy. You have a mechanical mindset, right? That's how you feel. And so like, Oh, mechanical engineering, it links, right? Mechanical engineering is, it's not automotive engineering. You're, not only that, it's not as hands-on as at it's, least it's I not, thought. No, like you're, you're doing paperwork. Most of the time you're doing paperwork and like me, like making tool blanks. Like that's like, but <laughs> well, honestly, was, there's different stems of all of it, but. 
what I was going to say going along with that is mm. I feel like a lot of, a lot of these kids that are in school for mechanical engineering, I feel like tuning would be an amazing side project for them to get involved for with. For sure. Whether for you sure. have money and can go to one of the tuning schools mm -hmm. or just, you know, you have a mega squirt or a Nismotronic and you're just play with it yourself. Mm -hmm. Like it can connect a lot of your, your knowledge, whether it's physics based, like there's engineering so based. That's the cool thing about tuning. I, I love it so much because of it. There is so much, right? Mm -hmm. You can get, so here, here's the thing with tuning, right? And I don't want to ramble on too much, but there's so much to tuning but you could also get very far with this little knowledge, right? There's levels. There's levels to it, right? And like, just like anything else, there's the curve of not knowing a lot. So you think you're the man. Then once you start to know a lot, you realize you don't know shit. There, you know, that like typical map they always show. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how tuning is. And um, you could always dive deeper. And it's super intuitive. And it's like, if you like, you like you would, I mm -hmm. know you would be obsessed with tuning. I if you had the time. time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like. you you, I know how your mind is and you would be obsessed with it. I know enough to troubleshoot and I know mm. enough to like clean stuff up, but I, I also like not having the responsibility. For sure. For sure. It's very, like I'll do it. It's some cars, like I'll tune a car and I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. Like if it only took an hour and a half, two hours, I need to take a nap afterward because it's so intuitive. Like, especially when there's issues, like most of tuning is diag. And, like, and, and just to go along with kind of what he said right there, you know, you said an hour and a half, two hours. If anyone tunes your car in 10 to 15 minutes or does like two or three pulls, mm red flag yeah i would say an average tune is two to four yeah like two hours if your car is dialed four hours if you had some hiccups right? and if if they don't want to like help you dial in drivability or they just like kind of load a map and clean up a few things also not usually the best scenario <laughs> and unless they're said, unless not, they're just not flashing every situation yeah unless they're flashing a stock ec and stuff like that if but. it's like a strategy and they flash flash yeah. a map on that they know is just going to work or it's scenario. like yeah i don't want to like write every tuner or it's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. simple car like a turbo me out of it but if you got a standalone and you have like a a turbo car mm -hmm. that's not just a factory ecu with like a little flash on it like it's worth spending an extra 500 bucks for someone's going to take their time mm -hmm. and like actually dial in all the maps for and sure. all the tables and find all the nuances because it's weird too right there's a lot of tuning where like i i can I'm, i know i'm jumping all over the place with it but like like I always say there's peak horsepower isn't your end goal, right? Because everyone's just like, oh, you got a car tune, how much power did you make? That's not the question. It's what does your power curve look like, right? I mean, you know my first experience with Jamie, right? That's, he transformed my skyline. Yeah. My R32 felt like dog shit. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, not a lot of low end and then it just kind of like but it had, hit up top. It had that number. And, and you, you got that number and you're like, oh, cool. It makes peak power, boom. And he played with the the VCT and mm -hmm. he played with, you know, timing down and low and mid range, this slam the gate shut and then yeah. let it phase out, slammed yeah. it shut up top, did all these things that like, even though the car made mm -hmm. very similar peak horsepower number, the mid range, it was making like another like 150, 200 horsepower. So the driving experience was infinitely, infinitely different. And that's the whole thing. And I always try to like rave about that in like videos when I do tuning stuff. It's like, don't think about that number. Mm -hmm. Think about how that graph looks. Right. Yep. And, and see how you can optimize that. Right. Cause you know, it, it takes a couple pulls and you know, your peak number, but trying to get those efficiency points is everything. And that's what really like Derek and Jamie are both tuners that are very adamant about that. And, no, you know, and if, if you're traction limited, a nice linear curve. <laughs> great. Great. We love a nice linear, love a good linear, linear power graph. Yeah. 
<laughs> flatline torque, flat real torque. linear torque. But then there's always also situations that will cause you to adjust your power band, be, mm-hmm. like, you know, keeping your engine together if it's like a stock motor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if, you know, your head's inefficient and you're going to have a rollover. <laughs> it's it's all planning ahead. And that's why there's so much to tuning where you, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of setups you could just slap together, slap a startup calibration from Haltech and clean up the VE and that'll get you pretty far. Moral of the story, I feel like a lot of you mechanical engineers listening to this, you, if you're going to school for mechanical engineering, you probably have enough money for a standalone or you probably have a car. Buy a cheap car that you can play with. Just play with it because I know that you probably want to be doing something with cars and correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy, there is a sh- massive shortage of knowledgeable tuners. There's there, quite a bit. That's quite a bit. And But that's also what the scary thing is. There's also a lot of tuners that have gotten really far on this. And that's like I was saying before, yeah. there's like, there's you, knowing little can get you very far if you're lucky in tuning. And that's, what's also dangerous about it. But I would, I would love to see, uh, even though, you know, the future of the industry is like a little bit questionable right yeah, now. I would, the EV stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, I would love to see more people doing what you did and more people screwing around with tuning cars because mm. I've, I've worked with a lot of tuners and there are very few that I've worked with that I would trust tuning cars mm. that like know that extra level for sure. And, and, you know, and, I, and put that extra care in. And there's people that didn't know that extra level. And like I got by the car's fine. It's not going to blow up. But when you drive a lot of cars, when you're experienced enough to know and spot nuances and maps, mm-hmm. it's, it's night and day difference for sure. It's like driving a, a car house designed stock versus driving something that just like has all these weird nuances that you have to drive around. Exactly. Um, so I guess to wrap this up, we're about an hour and a half in. And oh, wow. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of really good stuff. Also, probably got, got a lot of questions. Uh, where's a good foundation to learn how to tune? Uh, HP Academy. I don't want to pull, I don't need to plug no, it. No, 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 I, I agree. HP Academy, um, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, people ask me all the time. I actually have like a, a code that like gives me a kickback, but I don't I don't even know what it is. Just go to HP Academy and and learn how to, it, 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 it will give you the foundations. Like I was saying before, like mm-hmm. bringing back an hour ago about Shave Bay, mm-hmm. learn how it works first then you can learn how to manipulate it. And and they go through the process teaching you how it all works. So don't skip it. E85 is your best friend. And E85 Always. will save your ass when it comes to tuning. It will <laughs> save your engine. It will save your ass. It will save your wa- just wallet. A lot wallet. of things. If you're questionable about learning how to tune, just put on ethanol. And then a, it's pretty hard to mess it up. It, there's a lot more room for error. Yeah. Tuning on. If you're from California and you're trying to tune on 91 pump gas, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dude, I was so anti-ethanol at first. So was I. And this, the second I I made the dive to ethanol, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember I lost a wastegate line. Mm-hmm. And I I know now, like, if I didn't put my car on ethanol, I would have blew my engine up. For sure. I remember every time I touched my car, you're like, is it on ethanol yet? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, there's no ethanol pumps around here. I was like, I don't even know where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like why would you not put on ethanol oh my god yeah so to wrap this up Mm -hmm. we talked about a lot someone comes up to you at a car meet Mm -hmm. jimmy three pieces of advice for that person Mm -hmm. three pieces of advice the biggest things that you've learned on your journey that you would tell that person whether they're trying to start a business whether they're trying to build a car get into tuning whatever it is the three biggest things Biggest mm. pieces of advice you can give them. Things maybe you struggled with, things that you know a lot of people ask. I know you get a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Oh man, on the spot like that. First off, do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Don't do just because you think it's different or cool. Doing what you want to do 
always goes farther because when you do what you want to do, you always add your own touch to it, which always makes it unique. If I can add to that too, I, I literally tell people the same thing, yeah. but flip it. If you try to do what you think people want you to do, you're doing, you're never, first off, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. Second off, you're not going to actually appeal to those people because you're not authentic. Mm-hmm. But if you focus on yourself and your one little niche, you're going to really kill it with those other people that are just like you. Yeah. That's for sure. All right. Number one. Number one. Oh man. Number two. Think about, think about people coming up to you at car meets. They're asking you questions. They're asking you for advice. People sending you DMS. Just, we talked about tuning. Okay. We talked about tuning Mm -hmm. and you gave a little bit of advice there. What about on the car build side? Jimmy, I'm building X, Y, Z. What advice do you have for me? Be confident, but don't be cocky. Absorb. Absorb. Be a sponge. Be a sponge and go in with confidence because you could do it. I mean, that's it. Like if someone else can do it, you could do it. I, I, re- I truly think everyone's intelligent. Like I really think highly of just people in general. Mm-hmm. Like I never thought, like uh, this is kind of funny concept, but I didn't think I was that smart growing up. Like, and then like, I was just like, wait, I could do this. And then I was able to do cool stuff, right? Just, you could do it. Don't, if you doubt yourself, you're not going to put yourself in a position to get there. Just be confident. You got this. I don't care who you are. You're not an idiot. You're a smart person. Do your research, nut up and suck it up and learn it. You got this. Do whatever you want to do. I like that. Swap an engine. Tune it. Don't blow it up. (laughs) So number three, someone's talking to you now about a business. Mm. They have a business idea. Yep. They need to, uh, Jimmy, I got this great idea. Yep. What should I do? Usually call you and ask for advice. That's my issue. <laughs> <laughs> no, but think about it. You know, someone yeah. has a great idea. They, yeah. They're hesitant to execute or they have a question. Yeah. What advice would you give them? A lot of people try really hard to plan ahead. And mm. I do the same thing. You, it, it prevents you from almost making initial moves because you, you always feel this need to, to have all your ducks in a row before you even set sail. Sometimes you literally just have to you know, set sail and tackle each path as it comes. Obviously you want to project things, but I, I, every time I talk to someone, it always seems like they need everything to make sense before they start it. It doesn't it just doesn't even make sense to ad lib to that one too. So the first one that you said that I ad libbed, that was like one of, one of my big three pieces mm. of advice was right in line with it. this one. It is, but again, like I, my, my explanation behind it's a little bit different. Yeah. I, I say the same thing. Like, yeah, you have this idea, but you need all these answers. No, the sooner you try it, the sooner you can fail and you can and learn, learn from, from that. Exactly. But if you have this idea and you're like trying to line it up perfect in your head, by mm. the time that you have it perfect or you have all your ducks in a row, someone already has four times more ducks than you. Exactly. Their and ducks are so straight <laughs> and your ducks are like just now lining up. Yeah, exactly. I, I, there's, there's definitely things. There's many points in my life where I've done that same thing mm-hmm. when it comes to maybe even it comes to a mod that I was putting off Yep. because I needed to figure out how to make it work with this and this and justify this. If I just did it way sooner, I would have been way ahead of myself. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. That's a, that's a, that's a thing, isn't it? Where'd you get that one from? I think I read it somewhere in a shirt or something. <laughs> so this was a really cool one. Uh, I enjoyed uh, reliving kind of the, the story through your automotive journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a, a lot to be learned from this podcast. And uh, I've really enjoyed being being on here with you. So thank, thank you for you. that, Jimmy. It was an honor. I very, I very appreciate it. I, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. This has been a, a f- one of my favorite episodes of the Scenic Route podcast. And uh, if you want to find any more about Jimmy Oaks, you can find him at his YouTube channel, Jimmy, Jimmy Oaks. Oaks. <laughs> you can find him on Instagram at Jimmy Oaks. <laughs>
And you can find him at uh, shopjamil.com for all your link products. And other assorted goods. So <laughs> anyway, thank you guys. Hope you enjoy this one. And I will see you soon. Goodbye. Time.